What a beautiful day to come together and worship our King this morning. I'm always so excited to come to church and worship with you guys. Um, it's just always a good time, no matter what my week's been like. It's always awesome to come together and worship our Savior because He deserves it, right? It's, he deserves to be worshipped no matter what we're going through, no matter what we feel on the inside. He deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. Something we do here at Grace Life every week is a Grace Life welcome. It just kind of shares our heart as a church, and it welcomes you, whoever has walked through those doors carrying a burden, carrying heartache, pain, sickness, whatever it is, we welcome you with open arms, and we offer you the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is what we all need. Amen. And it says this, to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So we welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. Today's scripture reading will be out of the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. And it says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you today. Thank you, Kyle, for the welcome. Thank you, Vitaly and worship team, for leading us into the presence of God. I'm going to pray. You can keep your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, whenever we get to the end of the chapter in Romans, we're going through the book of Romans, doing an exposition on that, but I always give our people kind of a breather, and we'll go to another portion of Scripture. You're still getting the Apostle Paul today. We're in 1 Thessalonians. But I'll explain why in, in just a few minutes. Uh, should be back in Romans next week. So let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for an opportunity to gather again with brothers and sisters in Christ. To celebrate the good news of your rescue through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the, the power of the Holy Spirit that we have right now dwelling within us. He who was sent by God to teach us, to lead us, 
to convict us, to empower us, to guide us. And we, we ask you today, Holy Spirit, get, open our eyes, enlighten us, illuminate us to see the, the power of Jesus and our dependency upon Him, to, to see these promises and instructions in Your Word. God, we depend on You. Even, even a church this, this size, Lord, there's so many different needs that would be represented today that humanly speaking we couldn't discern or meet, but you can. And you can do it in, through the power of your word. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. That was Jesus' prayer, and that's our prayer today. Sanctify us, God. You are the sanctifier. You use means. You use the word of God. You use teaching and preaching and prayers and music and conversations and counsel. So today as we consider careful counsel, I pray that you would be with us and that we would leave here encouraged and helped. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was attending seminary in California in around 2009, and our family lived in an apartment complex that was really old, and it was called the Californian. And there was a huge iron-barred gate that guarded the entrance to the parking lot. It was a parking garage that all the, there were 41 occupants that lived in the California and you had to pull down into a parking garage and this huge gate would roll back and forth. It was remote, every, every uh, tenant had a remote control to the gate and you would hit the button and it would roll really slowly into the, the a hollowed out block concrete wall. It was a uh, it was slow, it was loud, it was heavy, it would wake you up if you lived in the apartment above it, which we did. It would wake you up every time it opened and closed all hours of the night. It was slow, loud, heavy, and it was unreliable. And the management would frequently unplug it and disengage it to work on something, and you would get stuck and have to park on the street. It was really irritating. You could never depend on, on that gate. Well, one night our family was returning home from a... Uh, Long day of activities, we had tired, hungry kids that, that needed to be fed and put in bed, and we were all eager to, to be in our apartment. And the parking garage was being painted at that time, and when we pulled up to the security gate, and I pushed the remote control, the gate didn't move, and I was instantly annoyed. You ever been there? I was instantly annoyed, and then I saw a painter with his back to me, with his arm through the gate, and he had paint all over him. And then I went from annoyed to frustrated. And I'm thinking, bro, is there not a, a, a better time on a busy Friday night or Saturday night, whenever it was, when all these occupants and tenants are coming home for you to disengage this paint to, or disengage this gate to stick your hand through it and paint it? Really? Are you serious? And so I, I rolled down my window and I kind of like, hey, hey. And he ignored me. He completely ignored me. And then I was really getting upset. And so I hit the button again. You ever do that? Like in an elevator? Again and again. It didn't work the first time. Maybe again and again. And the way these remotes worked, every time you hit it, it would start over. And it took it like, I don't know, man, like 30 seconds to get all the way into the wall. Um, so I pushed the button again and again. And the motor were, was still going. And all of a sudden, I had this reality check that I will never forget. This is, this is one of the most guilt-laden moments in my entire life. I suddenly realized this guy had stuck his arm through this gate, through one of the bars, okay? 
to just paint something with, uh, really quick to save himself some time later. He stuck his arm through this gate and was painting it. And right about the time I was rolling down, it hit the button that pinned his arm against this concrete wall. Now this gate was heavy. And this motor and this guy, I, I couldn't actually hear him until I stuck my head out. He was screaming for help. He was screaming for help. And I instantly realized, oh my word, this guy's in trouble and it's my fault. And every time I hit that button, I started the motor over again. So I threw the, our minivan in park and I jumped out and there were some, there were a lot of seminary guys that lived here and I saw a couple of my buddies and I'm screaming like, hey, get over here. It took four seminary guys and I hurt my back doing it. I'm okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> it took four seminary guys like yelling, screaming like you were in a gym doing squats on leg day, right? To pull this gate back and the guy was so weak, one of his buddies had to run and help him pull his arm through. Um, man, I want to cry thinking about that. He was okay. I, I apologized. I offered again and again to take him to the hospital, but he refused. He, he wouldn't do that. Um, the reason that I tell you this story is because first impressions are really, really powerful, aren't they? They're really powerful. And, and they're perspective setting. And they're often unreliable and wrong. So in my mind, here's a guy that's lazy. He's trying to save some time. Uh, maybe he's incompetent. All these thoughts were going through my head. And, and he wouldn't listen to my horn when I was honking it. Uh, so now he's, he's rebellious. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's uncaring. He's incompetent. He's lazy. He's rebellious. No, actually his, his arm's about to break in two any minute. And, and if it does get broken in two, then that gate's going to rip his arm off of his socket and take it in the wall. This guy's in trouble. So I went from his, uh, I went from rebuking him to trying to rescue him in just a matter of seconds. And every time I read this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we just read, and we're going to focus really, if you can put it up there, my remote's not going to work right here. Verse 14 is the verse I want to focus on today. Every time I read this passage, especially this verse, I think of that man because the Apostle Paul, this is kind of a triage. You guys ever heard that word, triage, medical triage? It was a term that was used by doctors, French doctors in World War I, there would be soldiers that were wounded, that were hurt. And so many soldiers uh, were wounded and hurt, they had, they had to come up with a system, like a matrix through which you, a grid through which you view, okay, this person's hurt bad, this person. So they had three different triages that they used. One, this guy's going to live, he's going to be okay, no matter what you do to him, he's going to make it. It's just a scratch, just, you know, he's not going to bleed out. So low priority, right? This guy over here, no matter what you do to him, he's a goner. He's going to die. There's nothing you could do to help him. So inject him with morphine and get away and let him rest till he, till he passes. And then there was the third part of that triage. This guy, immediate skilled care is going to make the difference for him, whether he lives or dies. So I view this as kind of a spiritual triage, but I'm calling this message careful counsel. Uh, because what stands out to me is, well, let me read it to you. And we urge you, brothers... That word is really powerful, urge. It's, it's, it's almost, we're begging you. We are appealing to you. We're, we're coming alongside of you and speaking to you. Listen, this is really important. He's saying, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Do you hear different categories of people in this list? There's, these are Christians that are in a church, and they're in trouble. They're hurting. They need help. They need the body of Christ to 
come around them and help them. And we all want to do that, don't you? I want to be a helper. I want to encourage people. I do, and I know you do as well. You have the Spirit of God within you. You know, the, the, you go back to Genesis and what Cain said about his brother Abel to God. What did he say? Am I my brother's keeper? Duh, I'm not. Hey, I'm for me. No, the answer is, are you your brother and sister's keeper? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And this passage helps us to be able to, to keep the body of Christ well. God is our ultimate keeper, right? Psalm 121, he keeps us. He never slumbers nor sleeps. But he calls us to, to participate. What a privilege that God has called us to participate in this keeping in the body of Christ. And this is kind of a spiritual triage. He gives us three different categories of people and tells us to act accordingly. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit today. And one of the reasons is we're going to be starting community groups back up after Labor Day at Grace Life. I think we have about four or five different homes. We'll, we'll share more with you at a later time about where they are, which leaders to contact. We try to provide easy on-ramps for people to be in community, not just on Sunday, but in community groups. And we're also wanting to kind of relaunch our discipleship groups. Uh, we're going to talk more about that uh, a little bit later too. Some of you are in little D groups, two or three, men with men, women with women, and you're encouraging one another, you're praying together, maybe memorizing scripture, confessing your sins, and, and we want a, just a church-wide relaunch. That may mean you stay in the one that, you, that you're in, or it may mean, hey, I've never been in one and I want to be, or it may be you're in one and you don't feel chemistry there and you'd like a change, so it just seemed like a really good time to talk about how do we provide careful counsel? How do we triage and, and participate in keeping the body of Christ? So, so that's what this is really about. And this is a long introduction, okay, and, and a really quick outline. Uh, a couple of preliminary points, and here's one of them. If you back up in this passage to verse 12, he says this, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So here he's talking to the congregation about how they should view their elders, their pastors, their teachers, their leaders. And he's saying, we're urging you, or we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. And then you go down to verse 14, and he changes gears a little bit. He's no longer talking to lay people about how they view and respond to the authority. He's talking to lay people about how they view and respond to one another. So here's a preliminary point to make, okay? And this is actually a dangerous point for a pastor to make. And I don't know that I would have been able to, to say this without being afraid years ago. Are you ready for this? You bear a responsibility for the spiritual health of this congregation. Now I do as a pastor and an elder. And, and there's James chapter 3 says, Let not many of you be teachers, brothers, knowing that yours will be the stricter judgment. I get that. I understand that. But you bear a responsibility too in that God has put his spirit within you and he has called you into community with other brothers and sisters. And listen, there, are, there is access that God is going to give you with other people in this congregation and other believers who are troubled and hurting and need help that your pastors and elders will never get. I just won't. There's people that are hurting and need help and I will be the last one they will come to. As to the reason why, that's another sermon for another day. Maybe they've been there and they've done that and they got the guy that kept hitting the remote over and over, right? They came with their arm about to be ripped off and they got honked at and yelled at, right? Lots of people have done a lot of damage in the name of Jesus and a lot of people because of that who have been victims, uh, they're, they're, they're a little bit gun shy and skittish, I understand that. 
There's lots of other reasons. Maybe a person won't come to a pastor. They're intimidated. They think the pastor is so busy. I get that all the time. Pastor, I know you're so busy, but... Well, listen, just this is a freebie from the sermon. God has called me to do this. I'm never too busy. Now, I'm only one person, and there's only so much I can do. Um, but it's a joy, and it's a privilege. I hope nobody in this church or watching from home ever feels like you are burdening me. I mean, every troubled person carries a burden, but we bear those burdens gladly, and we give them to, to Christ together, right? But the preliminary point is, yes, you bear some responsibility. And here's the dangerous part. Pastors are always saying, now, listen, you're not... You're not able, you haven't been professionally trained, you haven't been to seminary, and there, there's that dynamic. Some people re require help from, from somebody that's been trained and, and really understands the Bible in a way maybe somebody that has a nine-to-five job is not able to dig into. I get that. But I want to take this verse at, at face value and say, look, he's talking to a congregation, and he doesn't really qualify this. He's saying, look, we're urging you, brothers and sisters, so as your pastor today, I want to I urge you, brothers and sisters, that there is a responsibility that you bear, and it's a privilege. It's a privilege, and it's exciting. It's, it's, I, I often think of if somebody is in a crisis or somebody's in trouble, and there's not a pastor around, it's like you come up on a car wreck. Has this ever happened to you? You come up on a car wreck, or you come up on somebody who's been injured, and man, they need some help. It's like they, they don't just need a Band-Aid. They need some intervention of some kind, triaged, you know. Immediate care could make or break, make a difference. And you're out in the middle of nowhere. There, the, there's, there's no hospital down the road or walk-in medical clinic. You're not a doctor. You barely remember your CPR training. That's me. I was a security guard. I had CPR training like three times. If you ever need CPR, please don't ask me. I, have no, I can't remember anything about it. And they've changed it like three times, haven't they? Is it like one, two? Anyway, you're like me and you're like, oh my goodness. All I'm going to do, and then you hear about all the people who get sued for moving somebody because their spine was broken and, you don't, and then Good Samaritan Law. And you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Um, well, God put you there, right? That person needs another human being and you're the closest one. So ask God for help and swoop in. That's what, that's what, that's, that's kind of the analogy that I use is, is medically. And I know there's lots of, I was reading the other day, there were 20,000 reported cases of malpractice in the United States last year. Malpractice. That means people who are professionally trained but didn't do their job well. And that scares the heck out of a lot of people. They think they're going to get sued, right? Um, and I know malpractice is not just medically. I think it happens a lot spiritually too. People who want to help, they have your best interest at heart, um, but they're not paying attention to, to this verse. And if we don't, we can do a lot of damage. Somebody who is weak and fragile and maybe depressed and needs to be comforted and needs to be encouraged, you view them as insubordinate and rebellious, and all you give them is just commands, and you rebuke them, and you reprimand them. Listen, guys, I've done that before. I'm ashamed to tell you this, man. Maybe you don't know this about your pastor. I'm 48 years old. I've been in ministry over two decades now, and I've served in four different churches. And God is teaching me a lot. And one of the first assignments that I was ever given was a college and career class. And man, did I make a mess. I did my best. God knows, right? He knows. I did my best. And I was telling Sarah this morning, I remember one particular young man Oh man, it hurts me to think about this. I remember one young man, and he heard that I used to work at a gym, 
And so he started coming to me with all these questions about working out and about nutrition and about health. And, and, and at first I, I thought, oh, oh, that's great, man. Here's my connection to this kid. You know, I can help him. But it turned out he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He didn't want to study the Bible together. And so I adopted this posture of like, I'm going to correct him. I'm going to get on to him. He began to show up in class wearing tank tops halfway through, flexing his muscles, interrupting me in the middle of the lesson. And so I had this really adverse relationship with this kid. And we met a couple of times and things kind of got sideways and he left the church. And he said, man, I don't want anything to do with the Bible or Christianity or the church. And it wasn't until the next year I found out what was going on in his home. And I had no clue because I didn't ask. I didn't ask. I just swooped down and, and, and I had like one category. I had a hammer. That was my tool. <laughs> when you have a hammer, everything looks like a what? A nail, right? That was, that was my M.O., man. And I, I found out later this guy's dad was abusing him, physically was abusing him. Um, his dad was a, a chronic, uh, addicted to pornography. His, his wife eventually ended up uh, leaving him. I didn't, his dad had like picked him up at one point against the wall, was choking him one night right before he came to church on a Wednesday night, which was why he was late. I didn't know any of that because I didn't care to know. I just saw this kid as a problem. And I thought, he's a problem, I'm his solution. I'm good news for this kid, man, he's so lucky to have me. <laughs> That's what I thought. But I didn't end up helping him at all. Probably did him, did him a, lot of, a lot of damage. But this is written to every person in the church. Written to every person in the church. Here's a verse, we, we haven't gotten to it yet in, in Romans chapter 15, but check this out. This is what Paul says. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Now he's writing this, this letter, the book of Romans, to a church to equip them and build them up and present the gospel every possible angle. And he's closing out the letter and he says this. And what the Apostle Paul's doing, I believe, to the Romans, he's say, is he's saying, you, look, I've written you this letter. I'm teaching you. You're ready. You're competent. I'm convinced that you are able to instruct and admonish and help one another. That's always encouraged me reading that. I feel the same way about Grace Life Church. I know not all of you have been here the entire, we're in our ninth year of teaching here, right? Um, but some of you come from really great churches. You've been under really good teaching. I feel by and large that, that this is true of this church, that you are able to do the things that the Apostle Paul is telling the Thessalonian church and the Roman church. And as we're going into a season where you're going to be in community groups, you're going to be in D groups, uh, there may or may not be a pastor in your group. And you're going to relationally be involved in one another's lives. That's what a, a D group and a community group is. And you're going to start to learn things about other people and you're going to want to be involved in their life and help them. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to take us to this passage. It's really powerful what words can do. To either build somebody up or tear them down, right? And we need to be careful how we're speaking, which words we're using, which parts of the Bible we're using. There are promises, there are commands. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says this, The power of life and death reside in the tongue. The power of life and death reside in the tongue. Another preliminary point and then we'll jump into the outline, Okay. If you, if you hear these three categories of people mentioned, can you go back to 1 Thessalonians 5? He gives three categories of people and then charges everyone to be patient, to be long-fused is, is actually what that word means. 
But he says, admonish the idle or the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. So, what if I were to tell you that this church is filled with idle people, faint-hearted people, and weak people? What would you think? Man, you, got, you guys are good. You're getting it. That's a trick question. You got it. You did good. I've heard people refer to this. Seriously, I've heard pastors actually preach a sermon on this called How to Deal with the Problem People. Now, listen, we got to be careful about this. Because, <laughs> because if, you remove, if you remove all of these people from your church, uh, you won't have any problem people, but you know what else you won't have? <laughs> you won't have any people left, man. Because we're all in process. We're all growing. We all have high places. That's a, that's a phrase that means idols. Things that we're putting above God. We all have high places. And we all have blind spots. We need help to tear those down. We need help to see more clearly. So we have to be careful that we don't start to view these people that struggle here as the problem people. These are normal people. And one of the reasons I make that point is this is the Thessalonian church. Um, you hate to kind of do this, but if you were to kind of gauge, if you had a metric for all the churches that Paul helped to plant, um, Thessalonica would be like the Mercedes-Benz of churches, right? It would be the Rolex watch of all the churches. It was a good church. It was a sound church. They were well instructed. They were deeply planted. He says, about love, I have no need to write to you. Word has gone out everywhere about your faith. He said, you are eagerly waiting for the second coming. The Thessalonians uh, were fair-minded people. Uh, the Thessalonians received Paul and his, and his entourage. It says they received the word from them. They were willing to suffer for Jesus. This church, man, would be one of the best churches. And still you got these categories of people. So that's a preliminary point to make too. That one of the, there was a guy named Harry Ward Beecher, a great preacher. He said this. The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but it's a school for the education of imperfect ones, a nursery for the care of weak ones, a hospital for the healing of those who need special care. So, it's probably a good idea to think about the church as a hospital where we come and we recover. We don't stay sick, we don't stay weak, uh, we don't stay idle. We get the help we need, and, and, and our help is found in one another. One of the greatest and most neglected means of grace in the body of Christ is one another. You guys realize that? It's one another. That's why spiritual gifts are so important, because they're meant for another person. If you don't exercise your spiritual gift, you're actually depriving somebody and robbing somebody of being built up and helped and, and, and edified. That's why it's so important to, to find out what your gift is and leverage it in the body. So... We'll put, our, we'll put our outline up now. Three, three points to careful counsel. Three groups of people here. One is the disorderly. Two is the discouraged. And three is the delicate. And as I think about this, I've been in every one of those categories before. Maybe you have too. I've been in all three of those and I've needed uh, a special kind of care. And I'm so thankful that God has always brought somebody into my life, man, to be, to be a means of grace, somebody that listened patiently and didn't just honk the horn and hit the remote button and whistle, right? So, number one, the disorderly. This is verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Admonish the idle. Translators have, have uh, rendered that word idle because of the context of Thessalonians. Paul was teaching on the imminent return of Jesus, Jesus is coming back, the second coming of Christ. Be ready, it could be at any moment. 
And some of the people in that congregation said, oh, any moment? Yes, any moment. Always be ready? Always be ready. And they said, great, then I quit. <laughs> they put their two weeks notice in at work, or maybe they didn't even do that. Maybe they said, no, no need to wait two weeks. I'm going to quit working because Jesus is coming. Why do anything? We'll just wait. We'll just wait, and, and God will take care of us. Well, God didn't take care of them in the way that they thought. Other people in the body of Christ had to meet their needs and make sure their kids were fed and that there was food on the table and because those people were negligent. So you may have heard this verse quoted before. It says, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't what? Eat. That came in this context. That was, that was the Apostle Paul writing to this congregation. He said, hey, get off your rear end. You're being lazy. You're being apathetic. You're being idle. You're being unruly. You're being disobedient. Because I've given you a clear commandment to work. God has, has given you the ability and the means to work and you're not doing that. So you're depriving other members of the body of Christ that actually need help. So that's what this word means, idle. It actually is a military word. It's a compound word and it means to step out of line. Now how many people in here were in the military? Alright, then you get this, don't you? There's a rank, there's a file, there's an order, there's a system. And the Apostle Paul understood that. And people in, in Asia Minor understood that. You step out of line, you're putting your other soldiers in danger. You may, be, you may be too far forward and the enemy can detect you and start raining down fire or bow and arrows or whatever was going on at that time and day. Or if you're too far back, you were slowing down the advancement and the whole campaign would run, would run risk. You were endangering brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's a good analogy. Is somebody is stepping out of line. They're unruly. They're undisciplined. I guess a harsher translation would be they're being rebellious. They're being insubordinate. Now what do you do with insubordinate, unruly, disorderly people? What do they need? Do they need to be comforted? No, they don't need to be coddled. They don't need to be enabled. And it's easy to do that. Some people kind of, that's, no matter what the problem is, they think, oh, oh, bless their heart. They just need a little bit of encouragement. It's like, no, they've had plenty of that. They actually need to be admonished. They need to be warned. They need to be, nutheteo is the word here, and it means to be, a, it means a warning. It's like, hey, look, look, bro, I love you. I care about you. I've watched you carefully. Uh, I got some questions to ask you, but you're, you may not understand this, but you're endangering the body of Christ. You're, you're bringing the, the name and the reputation of Jesus Christ. You're dragging it through the mud. You're living a lifestyle that is incompatible with the gospel. And as a brother in Christ and as a lover, uh, as, as your brother in Christ and as a lover of Jesus, I want to come alongside you and I want to help you. And I want to warn you, there's a better way. Let me help you. Let's do it together. Uh, uh, stepping out of line, going, going the opposite way and putting people in danger. I often think when we lived in Ormond Beach... Back when all three of those hurricanes hit at once, you guys remember that? Was that 04 or 05? Uh, there was a mandatory evac put in place. Man, Floridians don't like being told what to do, do they? <laughs> Especially when it's from the government, do we? The government says, here, here, you will all leave your house and you will leave the state of Florida and go find safety. And most people are like, uh, no, no thanks. We're good, appreciate it. Which I get it. Hey, to each his own, right? Some people sheltered in place. Uh, but most people left. They got on I-4 and then I-95 and they tucked tail and they ran. And I was, I was amongst them uh, when the third one hit, man. We'd had enough. Uh, and then everybody ran out of gas on the interstate and the government was nowhere to be found with gas cans. Anyway, I digress. 
I noticed something interesting, man. When we were on the interstate leaving, there was a long line, bumper-to-bumper traffic. But in the other lane, coming into Florida, there were a few cars you would see every now and then, and they had surfboards strapped to their, strapped to their roof. Then, I'm not a, I didn't grow up a surfer, man. I grew up in the South. I'm like, what's that all about? And one of my buddies, Jeff Eckert, you may know him, he's telling me, he's like, dude, do you not know, man, when the swells, the hurricanes come, the waves, oh, it's the best surfing. I'm like, well, wait a minute, man, you're, you guys aren't supposed to be doing that. And, and you, you know where I'm going with this, right? So it's the people that are self-centered, they're only thinking of me, 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 best waves in the world. I'm going to ride them. It's an adrenaline rush. Nobody's on the beach. It's the perfect time. But what they don't realize is when they're needing to be rescued, then they're taking the first responders' attention away from people who actually need it. It's, I don't need to go on. I don't need to kick a dead horse. You get it. That's what I think of. They've stepped out of line. They need to be admonished. They need to be warned. They need a word of warning, a firm warning. These are those who step out of line. They're out of step. They're either apathetic or resistant to God's clear will in a situation. The problem is not, oh, I didn't know that. It's I know that and I don't really care to follow that. And it's really not a big deal because, you know, I'm autonomous, right? Paul says, no, no one lives or or dies to themselves. Maybe these are people who have isolated themselves. They feel they're self-sufficient. They're independent. They're autonomous. In an active sense, it would mean they're they're rebellious and insubordinate. They're rule breakers. In a passive sense, it would mean that they're lazy. They're not carrying their weight. They're irresponsible. Maybe they're not supporting leadership. Maybe they're not serving. Maybe they're just... They had this consumeristic mindset in Christianity. They come and they consume. They consume and they take and they get. And they never give. They never discover their gifts and deploy them into the body of Christ. They're never making themselves available to serve and to help. Those would be the disorderly. And that's when great advantage is given to the enemy. But what do we do? Do we write them off? Do we send them away? We admonish them. We lovingly and gently admonish them. I want to put another scripture up. This is one of the most helpful verses, I think, in the Bible. It's uh, Galatians chapter 6. And this is a great verse to remember, man. I often think of this. If I were unruly, if, right? (laughs) When I become unruly, what kind of person would you want? If you could pick your rescuer, if God could say, hey, look, Next year, about this time, you don't know it, but you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get just this spirit of insubordination about you, and you're going to kind of go off the rails a little bit. Sorry to have to tell you that. It's going to happen. It happens to Christians sometimes. There's a season of rebellion or whatever, and uh, I'm going to let you pick the person that you want for me to send to you to help you. I want you to think right now, is there a person in your mind that you would want to come and be the person to help you if you're being insubordinate? Are there some people that you wouldn't want to come? People you would rather not, that they're not going to be that helpful? I think about this probably more than I should. Like, what kind of person would I want? This is a verse that tells you what kind of person you should be when you're sent to rescue somebody. Check this out. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Say that out loud again. That's a beautiful word. Gentleness. Are you a gentle rescuer? That's what God has called us to be, is gentle rescuers. 
And this says, you who are spiritual, and that's a qualification, I think it's almost more of an observation than it is a qualification. He's saying the people who are spiritual will be the ones doing this. They'll be the ones that see a problem, recognize the need for help, and they do it gently. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So that's, uh, in a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself so you're humble about it. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I think that was my problem in that stage in my life where I was a college career guy. I thought I was something. I thought, man, I have this theological knowledge and expertise and skill that's erudite and, and esoteric, and man, I'm, I'm one of the experts, and... Man, I'm, I'm, I'm something. People are lucky to have me here. <laughs> oh, I did a lot of damage, man, but God is gracious. God's forgiving. Admonish them. That is, put sense into them. That's the idea, is that you're alerting somebody of the danger, the consequences, and it's a caring kind of warning against danger. Okay, second point. The discouraged. The discouraged. This is, uh, the translation says faint-hearted, but the outline works better with discouraged. And it's the same idea, right? These people are, they're disappointed, maybe they're pessimistic. One person called them the quitters, the quitters. Maybe some of you are finding your personality in this. Maybe you have more of a tendency to, to go against the grain and step out of line, or maybe you have a tendency to say, you know what, it can't be done. I, can't, I, don't, I don't know. I just not, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to work. The glass is always half empty with you, right? These are the people that are really discouraged. And this is actually a cool compound word in Greek, and it means small-souled, little-souled. They have a very small, weak soul, and it needs to be aired up, right? They need courage. They need courage to be put in there. If the first person needed sense to be put into them, this person needs courage to be put into them. Faint-hearted. This is the timid, the discouraged, the anxious. Those are in danger of giving up. Anybody in here ever feel like just giving up? Man, I can't do this anymore. Whatever it is. If it's with parenting, it's with a marriage, it's with even maybe Christianity, it's with helping somebody that's really needy and clingy. You're like, man, I just can't do this. Maybe it's a job that's hard. Maybe it's a difficult friendship that you're in or a challenging relationship and you're just ready to give up, man. You need help. You need somebody to help you. A person who's perpetually apprehensive or anxious or afraid or worried, they lack courage, they lack, they lack confidence. In the face of affliction, these people maybe are broken, they're afflicted, they're afraid. They're racked with fear and doubt. If you were to think of the unruly person stepping out of line and pushing on the edges of what is acceptable, then this person would be huddled in the middle, shaking with fear and paralyzed into inactivity. And both of them need completely different type, types of help. Completely different types of help. One man said it like this, The faint-hearted lack the boldness to accept a challenging new opportunity. They fear change and the unknown. And they want a risk-free life that is traditional, safe, and secure. And what they need is encouragement. 
And this is a really cool word too. And it means it consists of the two words near and speech. Don't you like that? Not far and yelling. <laughs> near and speech. This is a person you walk up spiritually alongside. You put your arm around there and you say, hey man, I understand. I'm here. I see. I see what's going on. And I want to encourage you. I want to help you. Will you let me help you? You let me encourage you a little bit? Maybe find some appropriate verses of Scripture. Usually they need promises. God is with you. God sees what you're going through. He knows. He hears your prayers. He understands. He's not going to abandon you. He's going to fill you with courage. God says, don't be afraid. And here are all the reasons that promise is true. That person needs those. They need encouragement. It's to come alongside of somebody and, and tenderly speak truth into their life. Maybe this person has faced a, a recent tragedy. Maybe the death of a loved one. Maybe they're being persecuted for their faith. Maybe there's temptations and trials. Repeated failure to live according to God's word. Maybe they're not well rooted in the gospel. And we are to come alongside of them and encourage them. Here's the third group. You ready for this one? The delicate. The delicate. You're laughing. You know, don't you? You know. The delicate, the weak, the feeble, the fragile person. They're just hanging on, man, just by a tattered edge. And at any moment, they feel like they could just drop completely away. Whether it's from the church, whether it's from Christ altogether, they feel like that. We know that's not the reality. Because it's not our grip that keeps us connected to Christ, is it? Whose grip is it? It's His. Thank God, it's His, right? None is able to snatch them out of my hand. The mighty hand of Christ is, is clasped very tightly around you in love. The delicate, those who are without strength and fortitude, they're tired, they're sick, maybe spiritually, maybe mentally, maybe they're depressed. Maybe there's a clinical thing going on. Maybe there's mental confusion going on. Maybe they're weak in their conscience and they're frail. They easily fall into the same temptation and snare over and over again. I mean, we're sheep. You, you, you've probably all seen that moving gift, that meme where that sheep is finally rescued by the shepherd out of that hole. And the sheep jumps up for joy and takes three or four bounding leaps and jumps right back in it again. Have you seen that? It's hilarious and it's accurate. That's Christians, right? We, we, we live that way sometimes. Easily fall into the same snare over and over. Maybe they're not able to clearly discern God's will in a given situation. Maybe they're unstable. Maybe they're prone to call certain behaviors sin that are not really sin at all. Maybe they came out of a really heavy legalistic background. Maybe there was some spiritual abuse. I've met people at this church that come out of a really heavy-handed leadership framework. And man, if you just raise your voice slightly, they, they cower like a, like a pet that's been beat with a newspaper and they see you get the paper and they're like, ah! They're scared, they're afraid, rightly so. Maybe they've been under terrible teaching. Remember when Jesus saw the people that were under the harsh leadership of the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyer, he saw them scattered on a mountain. Remember what he said? He came and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, scattered harassed, and he felt compassion in his heart. That would be this, this group of people. 
Maybe they sat under bad teaching and did great damage to their understanding of a Christian liberty. Maybe their gears are stripped. Maybe they're distrustful. These are the people that really need to be restored gently. Like one of those, I don't know, I'm not really much of a mechanic, but I know when you have a boat that's tightened down really tight, right? And it's on a, a motor and it's, <laughs> you got to get that thing out of there, man. And you, you, If it's metric, get a metric, right? Don't get the other one. There's just a very slight millimeter of distance and it can strip it and you get WD-40 and you spray it and you pray and then you pour Coca-Cola on it. I don't know. I don't know if that works. Does it work? Tell me later. And <laughs> You want to be really frightened because if you're, if you're not careful, man, you know what's going to happen? You're going to break the head off of that thing. And then you're in serious trouble. I don't even know what to do if that happens. I guess go buy a new engine. I don't know. What do you do, Cliff? Get help, right? <laughs> Call a professional. That's right. That's right. And there is a time for that. There is. And thank you, man. That's the Holy Spirit led you to say that, I think. There are times when you're dealing with each of these groups of people that you really say, you know what, man, it's, it's really time that I go and talk to one of our elders I think they need care that's maybe beyond me. Or I want to bring the leadership in on this. That there's some serious consequences going on. And you're sensing maybe even sometimes you need civil authorities. There's laws about if you sense abuse and neglect. And that's a conversation to be had. I'm not saying, hey look guys, I'm, I'm done as your pastor and you're on your own. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. We're here. Our shepherds and elders are here to give guidance. I just think this is a really important passage and it's often neglected in the body of Christ. And sometimes if we're not careful, we think, man, I've got to set through 10 years of equipping before I ever go and do anything useful for the, for the kingdom of God. No, you, no, you don't actually. You have the word of God. You have the spirit of God within you. And you belong to a loving church that's willing to come alongside of you and help you. Uh, and so get after it. That's what one of these passages, that's what this passage, I feel like it's a charge to the body of Christ, to say, with God's help, you're able to do this. Paul told the Romans to receive the weak people, to not reject them, weak in their conscience. They were coming out of a pagan system, and they felt like meat offered to idols was tainted, and that they would be spiritually judged if they partook it. And Paul said, look, be patient with these people. Don't be trying to command them to do something that their conscience is forbidding them to do. Give them some Give them some, some, some gentle teaching on that. Come alongside them. Be patient with them. There are some people whose connection to the gospel and to Christ seems so slight. Or even their connection to sanity and reality seems so slight. They need some real gentle help because they're delicate. I asked my wife permission to share this. She, she shared her story about postpartum depression. Uh... She shared it in the church we belonged to when it happened. She shared it. Uh, she actually wrote a chapter in a book on depression that somebody asked her to share. And then we put it on our blog. And man, people have not stopped calling her. And that's been 10 years ago. My wife has been able, God has used her to come alongside women who are struggling primarily with postpartum depression. She, he has used my wife so many times to do that. And definitely I would put that in the third category. People who are delicate. And what's really sad to us is that some of those people are in an environment where they feel like medication of any kind uh, is sinful. And it's a breach of your confidence and your faith in God. And they were made to feel condemnation if they ever went to see a doctor about their depression. And look, I know there's spiritual depression. There's that dynamic. 
But there's also depression where your body is just out of kilter with itself. And your hormones are off. And my wife actually needed medication. And I thank God for the common, common grace and means of grace that he gave. That with some medication, she was able, her body was able to be reset. She could get caught up on her sleep. And then she was able to actually think clearly to fight with Scripture, right? She couldn't even think clearly. She needed help. And she's been able to help so many women. And I asked her this morning, I just wrote this down. I said, what do you tell, honey, the, the, the ladies that reach out to you? If there's like kind of a template that you use. And she said, yeah, I tell them, number one, you're not alone. You're not alone. Delicate people forget that and they feel all by themselves. Like, I feel abandoned and forsaken and banished. Like, I'm here in the dark. I'm all alone. Nobody can help me. And Sarah says, that's the first thing I remind them of. You're not alone. You're not the only one. Other people have gone through this. There's no temptation that's overtaken you except that that is common to man, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And with the temptation, God provides an escape, a way of deliverance. She tells him that this feels like a, a cave, like a dead end, like a cul-de-sac, but it's not. It's just a tunnel. It's just a tunnel. It's something that you're going to come through and that as, as children of God, there will be one more deliverance than there is affliction. Even if it's glory, that's, that's a tremendous promise though, isn't it? This is a tunnel. You're going to go through this and you're going to get through it. And there will be deliverance on the other side. Whatever that other side is, we don't know. However long you're going to be in the tunnel, we don't know. There's so many I don't know factors when you're fragile and weak and suffering. But there's a tremendous we do know factor. I know my Redeemer lives. That's important to know, right? I tell this to people all the time. If there is a paralyzing state of uncertainty that you're in, and there's so many things you don't know, focus on what you do know. Focus on what you do know. There was a little boy, his name was Willie. He was nine years old. He was in his backyard in Georgia. You may have heard this story years ago. He got kidnapped. Somebody picked him up, put him in the back of the car, and took off driving. And that poor kid had no clue what just happened. He was scared to death. He didn't know anything. He didn't know who that was. He didn't know wh why they took him, where they were going to take him, what they were going to do to him. But he remembered one thing. His grandma took him to church and there was this gospel song that they made him remember. And here's what he did. Little Willie started singing that gospel song as loud as he could, out loud, in the back seat of that car. And the guy said, shut up, kid. He said, uh-uh. He kept singing it out loud. He said, I'm not going to tell you again. Button your lip. Shut up. Stop singing it. He wouldn't do it. That's the only song he could remember. He sang it over and over and over. You know what the guy did? He pulled over and said, get out, kid. True story. Google it. You can't believe everything you Google, but you can believe that. Willie was rescued by a gospel song. It was the only thing he could think of at the moment. Thank God. Thank God for it, right? All right. I'm going to finish here. We're getting to the end. You are not alone. You're not the only one. This is a tunnel, not a cave. Reassure them that God is with them. He will not forsake them. God sees. He knows. He cares. He hears. You are not at the mercy of whatever you are facing. You're at the mercy of God. This is for a season like everything else. And then she said she just tries to instill hope into people. Man, that's what so many people need right now. It's been a rough three years, hasn't it? People are still suffering from all the stuff that's happened. And then here's the last thing he says is exercise patience toward them all. And this is the most beautiful. This, this passage is filled with really powerful words in Greek. And sometimes I like to put my nerd hat on. This word, be patient with them all. It's a really cool word and it means to be long fused. If you watched Saturday morning cartoons growing up and you watched Wile E. Coyote. Remember that stick of dynamite? It was always a really long fuse that he would light. And it would always blow up right when he was there. 
That's, that's the idea. Are you, are you the kind of person that's got a really short fuse and you see somebody who needs help, they're in need, and you're going to come alongside them and rescue them, and the second they don't do what your expectations have put up for them, you blow up on them, you know? You're that kind of person. It was Francis Chan that said, you know, we, <laughs> he said, we are all together members of the body of Christ. It's like we're organs in the body of Christ and we're hands and feet. And he said, some people, have you ever met? And you're like, dude, I don't, I don't know what part of the body you are. Maybe you're like the appendix. You like blow up and kill people, right? <laughs> don't be like that. <laughs> have, a, have a long fuse. Be so patient and so tender and so loving and accommodating and understanding. Be like Christ, in other words. He was all those things, wasn't he? Don't we want to be like Christ, man, when we come alongside somebody to help them? So that's why this passage is so important. You don't want to warn the weak person. You don't want to encourage the insubordinate person. You want to come alongside them, love them, pray with them, recognize what the struggle may be, and then respond accordingly. And this passage, my friends, is a, a really good reminder of why we need the church, why we belong to the church, a place where we can love and be loved, a place where we're safe, a place where we can serve and be served, help and be helped, and my prayer is that every single person here and watching from home, I pray that when, not if, when you find yourself in one of those categories, you're close enough to other members of the body of Christ that they would be able to come alongside you and provide the help that you need. Lone rangers become dead rangers in Christianity, right? God never intended for you to live the Christian life alone. You need help. And God has provided help for you. John Newton said this. He said, A Christian believes and feels his own weakness and unworthiness and lives upon the grace and pardoning love of his Lord. This gives him a habitual tenderness and gentleness of spirit. Do you have that? Do you have a habitual tenderness and gentleness of spirit? Well, this is the last thing I want to say. Look down at verse 24. You can put it up here. Because this sounds hard, doesn't it? It sounds imposing and intimidating. I love this promise. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And that's one of those paradoxes in the Bible, right? Because he's just told you to do it. Didn't he? Did I read that right? He told you what to do, how to diagnose, come alongside people and help them. And he says, now go do this and be patient. And then he says, but don't worry, I'm going to do it. So which is it? Do you do it, or does God do it? Yes. That's the answer. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. You're not alone. That's the answer. You're, you're going with the Spirit of Christ within you, and with the body of Christ around you, and with the Word of Christ within you, and you've got this promise. Yeah, this is risky. Yeah, you could be misunderstood. You could be hurt. You could be left hanging. But that's okay, because God is with you, and, and He is faithful, and He will do it. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. And listen... Here, here's, a, here's a gospel application. How do we know that God is faithful and that he will do it and that he is with us? We know that because of the cross and the resurrection, don't we? Jesus had no one to come to his aid. And you think about that. His friends, they took off, didn't they? The shepherd was struck and the sheep did what? Came alongside him? No, they scattered. They left. His people rejected him. The Romans and the Jews persecuted him. His friends abandoned him. And then his father... 
forsook him. Jesus had no one. And he never stepped out of line, did he? The only per- human being who never stepped out of line and who knew exactly where that line would lead him to the cross, he's the one who's faithful and just and who promises to do it. Thank God for that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to be reminded of these truths. I pray that you would help us, Lord. You would fill us with your spirit. You would fill us with your word. You would fill us with hope and encouragement. And that we would be the kind of person, Lord, who would be willing to take a risk and come alongside a brother or sister in Christ who is in trouble and needs help. And maybe for whatever reason is not able or willing to go to a pastor or to an elder. And we're there. We're there on the side of the road when the wreckage happened, Lord. And they need immediate care, maybe long-term care. And I pray that we would be the kind of Christian that would take that risk. We would be like the Good Samaritan, uh, who unlike the, the Levite and the priest, didn't say what might happen to me if I stop and help this person, but rather said what might ha- happen to them if I don't stop and help this person. Thank you for the promise we have of your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, of never being alone, and this promise in verse 23 that you will surely do it. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.